Awesome. Okay, so we are in part five. This is kind of a longer series. We, most of our series average about four weeks, but this is a little bit longer um, than most, but I believe it's very important. Uh, and the reason it's very important is I keep going back to this. I say at least this much every week, but I'm going to say it again right now. You are not missing anything. You have everything you need right now to get where the Lord is calling you to go. You have it. You don't need to be waiting anymore. You don't need to sit around and ask God to give you something that you don't have. You need to use what you have right now. Watch God multiply it. Watch God increase what you have in your hand currently. And I'm telling you, it will take you to the next, we'll call it supply. It will take you to the next supply. It will take you to the next piece that God puts in your hands and says, now use this. The story I keep going back to is David and Goliath. David was standing in front of the giant. He had five stones, and in his hand, they were only five stones. But as he used those stones, they became uh, the stepping stones. They became the, the path to lead him. It knocked the giant over. It didn't kill Goliath. He needed another weapon to kill Goliath, but that's all he had. So what did he do as the giant was laying on the ground? If you read that story, he walks over, he grabs Goliath's own sword, and he finished the job. So he used what he had. It didn't seem like it was enough to take down a giant, but it did. And then it led him to that next supply, that sword that he took out of Goliath's sheath and used to finish the job. Moses had a stick in his hand, and he carried it into the office of Pharaoh. He threw it on the ground, and that started his journey to the next supply that he needed. And, and Moses held that stick, and it's important to remember this. I've reminded us all of it a few times, but I'll do it again. Moses had a stick, but he had a stick after he lost the command of an entire army. Remember, he was the prince of Egypt. He was raised as a king's son. There was a time in Moses' life when he had power and authority over the very people that he had to go start from the very beginning with nothing but a stick in his hand. And I love that it wasn't until he had laid everything down and lost it all. All he had was a physical stick, a staff. And actually, that's where this phrase comes from. The Lord says, set my people free. And Moses says, with what? And God says, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. And that's what started it. You have something right now and you got to use it. In fact, I heard somebody say this once, and I tend to agree with it. I, I'm not going to say this is every time. I believe there's always maybe some exceptions to, to different rules. But so many times we're waiting on a word from God. We're like, Lord, you got to speak to me. you got to speak to me. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And I think he's saying to us, I told you something to do, and you haven't done it yet. Do what I said, and then I'll give you the next bit of instructions. Do what I said, and then you'll hear the next step. And sometimes... I mean, some of us, this might go back 20 years. We hear something from the Lord 20 years ago. And we just been waiting. No, I didn't like that. Tell me something else. And God says, no, just do it. And I'll tell you the next step. Have you ever skipped a page of instructions? I love instructions. I'm really, really good at following instructions. Like, I will follow some instructions. Uh, I mean, I can, I can build something if it has instructions. Now, if I'm looking at these pieces, I might not... Some of you guys, some of you ladies can just look at a bunch of pieces laying on the ground and say, this is what happens. This needs to go here. I, I need instructions and I'm good with them. But there's been times I open up to page two and I'm looking at something on that picture that doesn't look like what I'm looking at on the ground. 
And until I realize I skip a step and I got to turn back, it's a very confusing moment. But there's a lot of times in our walk with the Lord, it's the same way. We're trying to skip a step. We don't like what he told us. So we're pushing it back. It's hard work, maybe. It seems like hard work. So we're pushing it back. And God's saying, just do what I said. And it'll open you up to so much. A couple years ago, Lisa really felt the Lord. Well, we kind of both felt, we, we both felt the Lord telling us we had to move to Gastonia. We, we've been, of course, a part of the church. Uh, I've been a part of the church my whole life. This is our church's 30th anniversary, and I've, I've been here for all of them. Lisa uh, has been a part of the church for 21 years now, since we've been together, since we've been dating and 19 years married. So we have a long history here at this church. We lived in Charlotte for most of it, on, on, on this side of Charlotte, so it wasn't a long drive. But as we stepped into the role of lead pastors, we heard the Lord very strongly tell us we have to live in this city. We got to live in the city that we're called to minister in. Well, I don't like it when we move around the furniture at the house. I have to like think about it. I got to get my mind right. And if I just walk in and see the couch on another wall, Lisa will tell you, I got 19 years of very consistently freaking out when I walk into the house and see things move around. That's just my personality in the flesh. I, I need to be prepared. Well, when the Lord started speaking to us about moving, you can imagine Lisa is on board. She's looking at houses the next day, and I'm trying to figure out how we can still stay in our house. Well, you know, like like uh, Mount Holly, it's like it's, it's like moving closer and closer to Charlotte. Like it's basically in our back door. It's kind of like we're already living in Gaston County right now. And Lisa's like, no, 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 we're not. We have to move to Gastonia. And I'm telling you, that was a good year of Lisa getting very excited about houses and basically pulling me, kicking and screaming to like see these houses and. And, and, and showing and there was so many things though the Lord was speaking to us he was giving us vision he was giving us the and we were like Lord tell us the next step tell us the next step and we kept on here here's the next step move move and it took about seven or eight months and just to wrap that story up when we drove into the driveway of our house we're living in right now I just felt such peace I knew it was the Lord she knew it was the Lord and within a within a month or so two months we were we were sitting at our closing that day on April 4th and it snowed on April 4th as we were uh, signing the closing papers. But uh, that was the next step. And it, it, it kind of felt like we were in a holding pattern for a full year or so until we made that step. And, and I'm glad it only took us a year. But so many times the Lord is saying, what's in your hand? While we're saying, what can I do? What can I use? And God's saying, use what you have. Just give me something to use. Use what you have. Just give me anything to use. Use what you have. But what if I had this? Use what you have. But what if I looked like this? Use what you have. But what if I, 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 what if, what if? And God is saying, use what you have. So one way, I, I was thinking about this this week. I was dwelling on this. And, and, and I keep on thinking about this phrase. I mentioned it last week. And to me, this really ties into using what you have. Because when you are very aware of who you are in Christ, when you are very aware of what his word says and what he thinks about you. When you are very aware of that, it is so, it, it, I'm not going to say easy, but so much easier to say yes to what he's saying to you when you're aware of who you are. Because let me tell you, if you're aware of who you are not, if you are aware of your flesh and your shortcomings, it's very likely you're going to say, no, 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 I don't have enough. That's not enough. I am not enough. You always, always, always reflect the nature 
of what you are most aware of. And as believers, let me tell you, we live in a kingdom built off righteousness, peace, and joy. We live in a kingdom that was completely bought, paid for, and won by our Savior. Amen. We also live in a world that is not redeemed and that is not filled with peace and love and righteousness. One of those two worlds is very obvious and in front of us all the time. And one of those worlds is built off spirit. And if we've read the word, we know that spirit and flesh are not the same. One world, we wake up and we open our eyes and we're aware. In one world, we have to go to the word and we have to seek the Lord to become aware of the kingdom. But as we become more and more aware of the kingdom of God built off righteousness, peace, and joy, and less aware of the world that we are in but not of, then our lives will begin to reflect that world, that kingdom that is righteousness, peace, and joy more than ever. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This means that as we gaze into the glory of the Lord, as we look into His Word, as we spend time in His presence, as we spend time in prayer, face to face with the Lord, we become changed to that image. We become changed. In other words, we reflect it. We begin to become what we are beholding. But we have to make the choice to look into His glory. We have to make the choice to step into His presence. You don't have to make the choice to be in this world. You open your eyes in the morning and you are aware of the world. You get notifications on your phone. You watch TV. This world is flesh and we are constantly being reminded of what this world is saying. In Romans 12, chapter 2, Paul talks about it. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So one is outward, one is inward. Don't be conformed to the outward world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So what he's saying is that you will reflect one or the other. You will either conform, meaning your true nature, your spirit, your born-again spirit, the real you, looks just like Jesus. You start off the day you're born again, the moment you're born again, you become just like Jesus. I'm going to get to that and I'll read the verse here in a second. Your spirit on the inside looks just like the same spirit Jesus had. But if you're not careful, you will conform, you will change into an image of the world, rather becoming transformed into that image who you really are, that spirit on the inside. It's our choice, and we're reflecting one or the other. And I got to tell you, if something doesn't exist, how do I know which one I'm reflecting? If it doesn't exist in heaven, it's got no business existing on earth. Otherwise, Jesus would not have told us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So if my life is reflecting a whole bunch of things that don't exist in heaven, then I am reflecting the nature of the world I'm most aware of. However, if my life, my actions, my decisions are reflecting my true nature, 
which is my born-again spirit, which looks just like Jesus, which is wall-to-wall Holy Spirit, then what I am reflecting will look a whole lot like it looked when Jesus was walking around earth, healing the sick, walking in joy, peace. And, and if that's not where you're at, I'm not condemning you. I always say this. This is not condemnation. It's an invitation to make a change from this point on. This is an invitation to what, what Paul says in Corinthians, to look into the glory of the Lord as into a glass, like you look into a mirror, looking into the word, becoming aware of what the Lord says about you, about your city, about your family, about who you are. And then reflecting that. And it's not something you have to force. It just begins to come out. It just begins to be a change. I'm going to get down and read uh, Hebrews 12 in just a moment. But Paul mentions this again in Hebrews chapter 12. He says that you lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. Not by, not by anything other than looking unto Jesus. In other words, back to the same principle. Looking into the glory of the Lord and becoming changed, conformed into that image. You probably, every one of us probably looked into a mirror this morning when we woke up. And you see things about your appearance and you think, I'm going to change this before I step out of this front door and get in my car and drive to church. This is the same concept. That's the actual literal metaphor that Paul used 2,000 years ago. He said, you have a choice. You will become conformed to this world if you are more aware of the nature of this world or you can look into this mirror. And James also calls this a mirror. You can look into this mirror and you can see who you are in the spirit and become aware of what the Lord is saying. And you will reflect everything in here you've always tried to be and felt like you always fell short. I was that kid. I was the teenager that felt like I fell short every, every day of, of, of the week, every moment of my life. I always felt like I was falling short. My best wasn't good enough. I mean, I was 15 years old and I woke up at 5 a.m. every morning to spend two hours reading the Word before I went to public school at Forest View High School. And by the time I got to school, I already felt condemned and guilty for getting frustrated with my sister on the ride to school. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, man, I just spent two hours with the Lord and now I'm just nothing but dirt again. I'm just, a, I already messed up and messed up already. Our best, when it's done out of our own goodness, when we think we're going to measure up, as soon as we do, our flesh or maybe the enemy is going to remind us that we don't. But then that's a good time to remind him and ourselves that Jesus did measure up. Amen. He did measure up. And now when we don't and we become aware of that grace he provided, we become aware that he's given us a way just to stand up, dust ourselves off and keep moving forward. And his love for us hasn't changed. When we become more aware of that, that is the nature we will reflect. And then instead of standing in front, front of somebody with, in, in condemnation and anger, we look at them with love. We look at them with love, and it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance, yes. not the condemnation. Yes. Yes. And when we're speaking into people's lives and we're condemning them, all we're doing is driving down them further down that road. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Man, when we are aware of the kindness of the Savior, when we are aware, like Paul says, our righteousness, the best of us, is as of filthy rags. There is nobody in this earth more guilty than me. There is nobody on this earth more or less guilty than you. We are all in our flesh the worst of sinners and guilty of it all. Jesus said, if we've looked lustfully upon another person, we've committed adultery. He said, if we have hatred in our heart towards anybody, we are murderers. So let's just be real. I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I have no reason to look at anybody in this world and think, well, at least that's not me. At least I'm not that far gone. When we start to measure the sin, when we start to measure what's worse, what's better, it's showing that we are way more aware of this world that loves to measure. And it loves to say, I'm better than you. And we saw it in a horrific way a week and a half ago in Buffalo. And man, as a nation, we got to repent of this horrible, horrible demon of racism. We got to repent of harboring any hatred in our heart because we're just as guilty of murder as that young man that went into that grocery store. But thank you, Jesus. That when we are aware of a loving Savior, we don't reflect the nature of this world, which is hatred. Yeah. And which in a second can cause somebody to just make a horrible decision that ends in death, destruction. But we're aware of the kindness of a Savior, the patience of our Savior. And as we reflect that, and there'll be moments that don't happen because we stepped in, because we were aware as the church, as we become more and more aware of that kingdom, this world, starting in your own home, will begin to look more and more like the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Man, if we want to do that, if we want to say, Lord, show us how to bring heaven to earth. Show us how to bring on earth as it is in heaven. Start right here. Start right here in your own mind, building an awareness of who you are in the spirit by looking into the glory and becoming transformed. And that's an important word, the becoming part. Becoming. Becoming. You know what that means? That means when you start and you open it up and it feels like nothing has changed, don't say, well, that didn't work. It means keep at it because it's a process. It is a becoming transformed. So many of us want it instantly. You can order something on Amazon right now and it can be at your house in two hours. That's pretty cool. It's also a little bit damaging because we, we want everything now. In fact, I will sometimes find myself uh, buying an inferior product that I can have right now 
instead of a better product, I have to wait a little bit for. I mean, have you ever done that? Like the Amazon Prime thing, uh, the grocery and it delivers within two hours. There's only certain stuff on that. And it's like, you know, I don't like this as much, but it'll be here in two hours. I can drink, I can drink Folgers tomorrow morning. If it's here. I can drink Folgers this afternoon if it can be here in two hours. But there's a process to this scripture. It says looking into the mirror. I've already talked about that. This is the mirror, the word, spending time in the presence of God. You will begin to reflect that nature. And then the second part that this thing really talks about is becoming changed, seeing a difference. It's a process. Brittany talked about it even a few weeks ago when she spoke that Sunday. She said too many times we, we say these prayers, we, we declare the word, and that night we don't see the miracle with our own eyes. And we say, well, it didn't work. It didn't work. There's this great story uh, where, where Jesus curses a fig tree. And man, we could talk about the sim symbolic part of that. Uh, on the surface, it seems like Jesus is just cursing a tree that didn't have fruit on it. But really, if you remember, when Adam and Eve broke the law, when they took uh, the fruit and ate the fruit, what happened? But the first thing they felt was shame because they were naked. And what did God do? He covered them with fig leaves. But shame was never supposed to be a part of this world. Shame was never supposed to be a part of our life. The first penalty of breaking the law was shame, and it was covered by the natural fig leaf. So when Jesus sees this fig tree, there's a whole lot more when he says you'll never bear fruit again. Very symbolic, because he's talking about the law. The law, you will never bear fruit again. We're now people covered in grace, and we become aware of that grace. When we become aware that the whole, uh, the whole uh, measuring up, measuring up was done by Jesus, man, we'll begin to reflect that. So this fig tree, going back to that, he cursed this fig tree. Him and his disciples walk up on the scene. There's a fig tree that had no fruit, and Jesus says, you'll never bear fruit again. And it was a day later, they were all walking past that tree, and one of the disciples said, look, Jesus, it's withered. It's withered. When the Son of God, when God in the flesh spoke to that tree and said, you're dead, I'm telling you that tree was dead in that second. I don't know if any of us would ever try to argue that. But just like a tree, for it to have withered, it's got to start underground. It's got to start at those roots. It took a day for there to be any noticeable difference in that tree, even though I'm telling you for 24 hours it had been dead. So many times in our life, we throw it out during that 24 hours. Well, it didn't work. Back to the drawing board. And we have to remember, it's a process. On the outside, we are becoming. On the inside, it's a done deal. Our spirit has be, been sealed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And who you are on the inside is every promise that God has made us in this book. I mean, we could go over them. Just a few. You're the, you guys might know this by heart because I'm your pastor. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not below. You are a leader, not a follower. You are a lender, not a borrower. That's all in Deuteronomy. That is who you are on the inside. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 says that as you delight in the law, as you look into this, you are like a tree planted by the water, bearing fruit every season, and in everything you put your hand to, you prosper. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that you're righteous. John 15 says that you're friends of God. Psalm 419 
says that you're not, uh, Philippians 4.19 says you're not trying to get a blessing from the Lord. It says you are blessed according to his riches. 1 Peter 2.24 says you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. And Galatians calls us children of God. This is who you are on the inside, no matter what the outside looks like. The outside is a process of becoming, and we become on the outside what we behold. And if all I see every day is the world I'm living in, the world that I can see with my eyes, then I will become a picture of that world, even though on the inside, I'm a spitting image of Jesus himself. 1 John 4, 17 says that as Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Amen. And that was written after he had already died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one that knew him best, said as he now is. What is he now? Where is he now? But seated by the right hand of the Father in a glorified body. And John said, that's who we are now. It's on the inside. Yeah. On the outside, and I still got some becoming to do. But as I look to Jesus, as I look into this mirror, I begin to reflect that. This is kind of a goofy story, but when I was 17, maybe 16, I got hired at... Um, Unbaked ham for the seasonal, seasonal ham slinging. I'm telling you, honey baked ham in the 90s at Christmas time was like, I mean, like Disney World. There was people there all the time. We were cooking, I mean, thousands of hams every day. Like that place could have been closed year round and kept employees just by Christmas hams. And uh, I remember as 17, I was so frustrated. I told you I like instructions. Well, I, I was just thrown into this kitchen and I, I was given a job to do. I was kind of looking around, seeing how things worked. And uh, it, it was just chaos in there. And I, and I guess I got to backtrack a little bit because, you know, that's in my flesh. I, I got to have instructions. But man, if the Holy Spirit's saying something and giving me instruction and it's not written down verbatim, I, I can say yes to that. So as I was 17 years old, I had zero authority. Everybody in there was seasonal workers and the kitchen was chaos. I looked around for half an hour and I just started acting like I was the boss. The boss stepped out, and I started telling people what to do and putting them in different roles. And within about half an hour, that kitchen was really organized. And that night, the, the guy, his name was Marion, who owned Honey Baked Hams, grabbed me before I left, and he said, he goes, listen, I don't have anything available uh, after Christmas to bring anybody else on, but if you'll stay on after Christmas, I would like to uh, just maybe create a little position where you can come work for me. Uh, after school and on the weekends so that next Christmas you can just be back here and kind of, you know, organize all this stuff again. And, and uh, I said, no, I was 17. And I went home and told my dad and he said, call him back right now and tell him you'd love to have that job. And so I did. I did. And I wish my sister was here because my first major great thing I did that next Christmas was when she got hired as a seasonal worker. He told me to tell her to cut tomatoes. We had this tomato slicer, you know, you push it in push the tomato through and it slices them. But I taught her, I said she had to cut every slice. I handed her a knife. I said, here's how you cut tomatoes. He had a box of like 300 tomatoes. I tell you, as happy as he was the year before when I organized that kitchen, he was so mad 
when he walked in and said, why is she cutting tomatoes like that? And I was like, that's what I told her. I was, I was messing with her. He said, I've been paying her for the last two hours to cut tomatoes that way. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. I'm sorry. You can, you can take it from my $38 check. But that is just as a small, goofy example, but it's about operating in who you are. In my flesh, I, I was a 17-year-old kid that had no authority over those people, but I walked in and I saw something, I made a change. There's so many times in your life, you see things, the Lord highlights things. Say yes to that. Say yes, step into it, overstep some boundaries. The Bible says that the violent take the kingdom by force. So many times we choose politeness over what the Lord is saying. And sometimes there's a time and a place to be polite and there's a time and place to be violent and to step in and say, hey, I have the answer. Amen. Be forceful. Violent doesn't mean violent like it does now. It means be a little forceful. Insert yourself sometimes into some places that maybe it doesn't look like you belong in a natural. But you do because you have the Holy Spirit who has every creative idea and solution ever yes. on the inside of him, yes. which means that's on the inside of you. Yes. So take your chance when the Lord puts it in front of you. Say yes. And you do it not by just saying, I'm making the decision to do this. I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. You do it by entering into rest. That's another word we'll be talking about some. But that rest is looking into the law and allowing yourself to become more aware of that authority you have on the inside rather than the authority you have on the outside. You might have very little authority in this natural world. You might have zero authority in this world. You might be the guy on the bottom of the totem pole. You might have been the last hired. You might be working your way up right now. But on the inside, you got every bit of authority Jesus had. And what did he have? But all authority on heaven and in earth. Act like it. Begin to look into here and watch your life begin to reflect that authority rather than what you've been given in this world. And that's the last part of the verse, and it says we do this by the Spirit, right? And it's important to remember that because, again, it's not in the flesh. It's not, I'm going to just make better decisions. It's not, I'm just going to be better. I'm just going to do better. That's not what this is about. It is as simple. Paul said it in Hebrews. He says it in... Second uh, uh, Corinthians, he says it in Romans. James says it in James chapter 1. We do this by looking into this mirror. And people said it before that. Psalm 1-3, David said, When you delight in the law of the Lord, you're like a tree planted by the water. Uh, the charge to Joshua was, As you keep my commands in front of you, you will find prosperity in all you do. So you can do this. You can look into the law as a mirror and become changed. And when you're a couple days into this or a couple hours and you find yourself making the same kind of decisions you've made for a long time, well, there's no difference, remind yourself that it's a process. The inside is a done deal. The outside, it is becoming changed, becoming transformed. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I'm a sucker for, for sappy stuff. Like, we went to see Hamilton last week, and, and man, there was, there's just a few parts in that show that 
man, I just was, I felt really ridiculous. I was crying like a baby. Lisa kept laughing at me. She just kept looking over at me and pointing. I mean, at one point she was like, you know, wiping a tear off the side of my face and going, oh, you got a little tear right there? You got a little tear? I'm a sucker for sappy stuff, you know. It's, it's, it's whatever it is, whether it's a, a, a house TV show where the house is getting the makeover or a TV show where, where the person is getting the makeover, one of the things, we all love to see the transformation, right? We all love to see the team comes in and they're like, that shirt is not flattering for your body. This is the kind of shirt you should buy. That beard is ridiculous. Let us show you how to make your beard better. They give them a haircut, right? They teach them about different things and they make over people. And then this person, the exact same person you saw 30 minutes before, walks out of a room 30 minutes later and they look completely different. But the thing is, is it's the exact same person. And in most cases, it's not like it's a big, like, it's like a couple day long process. So it's the same person with the exact same stuff that's just a little more aware of their appearance, a little more aware of what works for them, a little more aware of what to put on their body, a little more aware of how to fix their hair or whatever it is. But they take what was already there and they just use it, right? They, 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 they use it better. And that's honestly, it's kind of goofy, but that's also what I'm talking about because this is what you already have. You already are these things. You're not trying to get there. You will be reflect them on the outside as you, and I'm saying this over and over again on purpose, as you become more aware who you are in the spirit than who you are in the natural. Or as you become more aware of what the word says rather than what the world says. You'll reflect that true nature as you become more aware of God's thoughts about you rather than your own thoughts about you or anybody else's. Why would anybody else's thoughts about you matter when the Lord says, I know my thoughts I have about you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Why when somebody else tells me their thoughts about me and it's not very flattering, do I think about that for the next 10 years instead of what the Lord says about me? Me and Lisa laugh about this all the time, but we have recorded music and, and played music for years and years now and we have legitimately sold thousands of albums and had thousands of streams online and the only person's face i can remember is the lady that walked up to our table after we played at a music show or a festival and she had two cds in her hand that she bought the night before and she goes i want to return these because they are awful <laughs> And they were still in shrink wrap. Like she hadn't even listened to these CDs. This was before streaming, right? But she goes, I want to return these. They are awful. I want my money back. We have sold thousands of albums. Thousands of people have been to like our, our, our concerts or nights of worship. And I can't remember any of their faces except for hers. This lady, whatever the reason was, declared her thoughts about us, about us and they were not good. And I can remember her face 10 years later. But the Lord tells us his thoughts about us. He's been telling us the same things right. for our entire life. And that one horrible lady's thoughts about me at certain points take up more space in my brain than God's thoughts. But when I'm more aware of mean lady that returned CDs than I am of my loving Savior who has a hope and a future for me, my life reflects that lady's thoughts about me more than the Lord's. We will reflect the world in whose nature we are most aware. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is what we'll close with here. I already mentioned it, but I'm going to read it. Again, these are words from Paul. And he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Okay, so this sounds like an action, right? We're going to strip off the weight that slows us down. Tell us how to do it. Do we? Is it a 12-step program? Is it, uh, what is it? Is it creating better habits? What is it? We're going to strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Well, that's good news. Because like I said, when I was 15, I was very aware of every sin I ever committed, right? Especially the sin. Tell us how to do it, Paul. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. This is sounding better and better. Give me the steps. Give me the 12 steps. Give me whatever it is. We do this by, okay, hold my breath. I'm so excited. Tell me. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, what about, okay, what about step two? Keep your eyes on Jesus. What about step three? Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's a period after that sentence. Keep, well, as a comma, because he keeps talking about Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Yeah. Then there's a period. Yeah. That's good. Come on. Perfects, another action word, right? But it's not us doing it, it's him. Yeah. Yeah. He perfects our faith. We are so interested in perfecting our yes. own faith, but that is not going to happen. Because on my best day, I'm still guilty of murder. On my best day, in my flesh, I'm still guilty of adultery. But he perfects our faith. Yeah. We'll explain it a little bit more. Well, I did. As we behold the glory of God, we become transformed into that very image. What are you beholding if you are not using what the Lord has given you if you are not saying yes to the direction he's given you I'm willing to bet that at this point you're a little more aware of what the world says about you than what the word says about you if you are not running with endurance that's a different kind of running. That's not like panting and barely making it across the finish line. That is running and not slowing down. In Isaiah, he says, we'll walk and not faint. We'll run with, and not grow weary. In Hebrews, Paul says, you'll run with endurance as you look to Jesus. As we look into his glory, we become transformed. Man, open the word and read what he says about you. Invite his presence into every moment of your life through worship, through praise, through living a life of gratitude. Man, say thank you for your meals before you eat. Pray with your kids before they go to bed. Uh, it says it, it's very, very practical instruction in the book of uh, Chronicles, where the Lord says, write my words on the walls of your house, hang them on the gates of your property, talk about my word with your kids on long trips. That's very practical instruction written down four or 5,000 years ago, and we could still learn from it today. Amen. Become more aware of his word than anything this world has, and watch every decision you make begin to be filtered through who you are in the spirit, not who you are in the natural. Walk into that kitchen, 
and say, I just got this job. I got no authority, but you should not be doing that. You should be doing this. They used to so, tell me yes. Okay, I'll go do that. I don't know who they thought I was. <laughs> they said yes. We will reflect what we are most aware of. And if you don't feel like that's good news, change that thinking right now because it is. All you have to do is walk out of here and make choices to gaze into his glory before you gaze into anything else. Amen. That's really good news. Yeah. Go to the word and find out what the word says. Stop giving people your opinion. Right? Yeah. Tell people what the word says. Yeah. My dad, man, I can invite the band to come back yeah. up. But when people used to ask my dad questions about morality, which obviously has had a giant shift uh, in, in, in the world in these last 15, 20 years, the average person and, and what they consider moral shifts. But we have a God that doesn't change. And when people ask our opinion as believers, we can point them to the word every time. My dad used to actually tell people, I am a pastor, which means I really can't tell you my opinion. I can only tell you what the word says. So let's open the word and I'm just going to tell you what this says about the subject. And it's not a cop out because this day and age, it's not the easiest thing to tell somebody what the word says. Because it is not what the world says. And we might have to deal with a little bit of persecution, which is something that Jesus promised us we'd have to deal with. But stand on the word. Stand on the word. In your own life, in your conversations, in your own thoughts. Man, tell your own thoughts what the word says. And watch what you reflect begin to look more and more like Jesus. Jesus was a perfect reflection of the Father. He told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes. Man, we should be able to tell people, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Yeah.